everybody's a journalist now and everybody has this capacity to see and mount and explain raw life experience and put it out there for greater insight and understanding. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute, in which we interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. Asking each one of them our one question, in the midst of all that seems to be going awry, what could possibly go right? And my guest today is Christina Baldwin. Christina is an eloquent and witty speaker and educator who integrates the spiritual journey and the practical path in her retreats and workshops. She has taught nationally and internationally since the mid-1970s and has contributed classic books to the emerging body of knowledge around personal writing, group process, and spirituality. Her first work, One-to-One Self-Understanding Through Journal Writing, is a pioneering text that has remained in a continuous print for a quarter of a century. Its sequel, Life's Companion, Journal Writing is a Spiritual Quest, extended the art of journal writing into a spiritual practice. In the early 1990s, Christina began developing a group process methodology that led to the concepts presented in her groundbreaking work, Calling the Circle, the First and Future Culture. I invited Christina to join us for What Could Possibly Go Right because she is such a wise guide at finding and telling our stories. And our stories, our search for meaning, are as important as electric cars or renewable energy for all of us making it through these challenging times together. And now here's Christina. Welcome, Christina Baldwin, to What Could Possibly Go Right. You know, we met over two decades ago, and I have admired and learned from you ever since. I love your skill in holding space for complex conversations and your uh, stories and, and the book that you wrote about story and how you comport yourself in our community here on Woodby Island um, or Chakolchi, um, a shared gathering place of the Coast Salish people. You are free to take our question, what could possibly go right, anywhere you want. But I still want to mention your storytelling skills and what I believe is your sense that stories literally matter. They proceed and inform the materiality of our lives. They drive our politics. They frame our emotions. They open or close possibilities. So here we are, and I want to ask you my cultural um, scout question of what do you see now emerging in this time of war and pandemic, of Bezos going to space and half the world impoverished? Mm -hmm. Where do you see, for want of a better word, uh, glimmers of hope of new possibilities entering the places that seem to be breaking under the weight of our colonial systems? So that's a whole bunch of uh, ideas that you can freely ignore. Um, (laughs) But with all of that, Christina, I invite you to speak to our question, which is that in the midst of all of this, of all that seems to be going awry, what could possibly go right? Thank you. Thank you for asking and for getting back to the essence of the questions. (laughs) And I'm going to respond to it with what could possibly go W-R-I-T-E. Good job. What could possibly go right? 
because when I look back on my life, someone asked me the other day, what do you think is the most significant decision you ever made? And what came to my mind immediately is deciding to start Keep a Journal when I was 14 years old in 1960. So at that time in the United States, every eighth grader read the diary of Anne Frank. And I had this huge identification with her to the point where I started my very first diary, which being slightly dyslexic, I spelled dear dairy. Um, You know, confessing and sobbing, as you have probably guessed by now, Anne Frank is dead. And, And I just had this outpouring of connection to that girl. But as I have grown and matured in these years, what I realize is it's a connection to the need for story to survive. Mm. How do we do that? You know, for most of human history, we've had elders who spoke story to youngers. That still happens in our modern world, but in a much more chaotic and disorganized way than in the eons that we sat at the fire and the grandparents said, here's what you need to know to be a human being. So what I did at age 14 is I took that and I decided I would ask myself What do I need to know to be a human being? And what do I need to know to be a girl, to be a woman, to be an American, to be growing up at a time in the Cold War when we're practicing putting our heads under the desk and at the top of the classroom, it says, do not look at the atomic bomb. Okay, got that. And so um, there's a way that I took the need for capturing story about our humanness and ate it and began writing to myself. And I'm still doing it all these years later. And that journal writing form has matured and matured and matured. And when you talked to me the other day about being a cultural scout, I thought journal writing has never completely gone away, but it was not in this full out renaissance that we're still in now. And that when I wrote my first book, One to One, Self-Understanding Through Journal Writing in 1977, there was no category for it in the Library of Congress. They had to create one. So I think that's kind of scouting. And um, and when I, real, I realized I was onto something and it's like every single decade of my life I've gone and now I understand this and now I understand this about story. And look, oh my God, look what's happening with the internet and blogging and online this and that and podcasts and, you know, what could go right? What could go right? What could go right? Well, everybody's writing, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my, that's where I stand is kind of in the fire of story, both in its oral form and in in this archiving that is coming out of the voice of ordinary people. And now with the cell phone and this videoing of cultural moments, you know, we are dependent actually on the journalism of people who are running in Ukraine or watching George Floyd be murdered or, 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 you know, that, Everybody's a journalist now, and everybody has this capacity to see and mount and explain 
raw life experience and put it out there for greater insight and understanding. We misuse that horribly, but we also are using it brilliantly. Both are true. Wow. You laid out so much. Uh, you know, you were mentioning, um, you know, this renaissance or, or whatever you call it, you know, like we're all storytellers, we're all journalists. We're all, you know, we've all always observed life mm -hmm. and made some sense of it, but mm -hmm. it's this public sense-making through recording stories and telling stories right. that is, it seems like it's part of the transformation, the transition, the, even the endurance of what we're going through. So I'm thinking about the moth and this American life. Mm -hmm. uh, I am even thinking about improvisational theater, which is what I used to do. Yes. You know, it's, it's in, and what you learn is, is that a lot of it, you're, you're revealing choice making. You're revealing how people make choices. Mm -hmm. And that is a way, it's sort of like the old fire with the elders. You know, the, the deer came through and the choice we made and da, 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 and the choices people make. So I think you're pointing to something super important. One thing that comes to me um, is that, because I'm, I'm studying now with a woman named Anne Randolph, you know, she's a storyteller par excellence. You know, mm -hmm. she's a one-woman show storyteller. Um, and we talked about the hero's journey as one story model. But not all stories fit into that. Right, right. And, and I'd love to hear you reflect on, on, you know, it's almost like the hero's journey is this, you know, heroic story that's really congruent with the American psyche, you know. And then we prevailed, you know? Mm -hmm. So what we talk about, you know, forms of stories and stories that move you and, and stories that heal, um, whether it's an individual healing themselves through journaling or storytelling, talk about that. Well, I think that there's more of a cyclic nature to many stories, to, especially to the healing story. So let's say that you have um, a catalyst or a wounding that behaves like um, a dark bubble. I mean, we can have bubbles of light that change our whole life, but most people, when they have to cycle around and around an, a life event, um, it's more trauma related than otherwise. So you have this dark bubble, and the first thing you do is you make a survivor story. Mm. You, know, you you live through it and you begin blabbing about, oh my God, look what just happened to me and da, 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 da. and it's very disorganized, but through the telling of it, whether it's oral or written, uh, it begins to organize itself. Mm -hmm. And you have the survivor's tale and the survivor's tale is often very dramatic. And sometimes if the event itself doesn't seem dramatic enough, people add drama and get it, you know, it's like it gets bigger, the fish gets bigger and the storm gets worse <laughs> and all of that kind of thing. So you have that survivor's tale and culturally 
that's where we focus. And so the, the blips that show up in social media, the things that make the news, all of that is the spinning of the survivor's tale. But that's, that's flat. And that what needs to happen then is down you come into this kind of molten exploration of meaning. Why have I lived through this? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I live through it? What is the impact? You know, how has this veered my journey another way? Now, who am I? Right? So that you get this kind of molten, and this is what I call the integration story. Mm-hmm. And most people, if they're writing, either privately in their journals or writing for publication, they're in the integration process and they're in the sorting and sorting and sorting and sorting. And what comes out of that eventually, because we keep coming around and bumping into our dark little bubble, is, oh, I see. There is an almost ecstatic awareness of insight. You know, so that down the road, what first may have been horrific, people look back and say, I would not trade this now because, right? This is in my work for over 30 years, I've taught a memoir class called The Self is the Source of the Story. And I have coached people through this process hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. And we always talk about this spiraling effect of the story. The reason I'm focusing on it now is that we are collectively going through this spiral, all right? And the survivor's tale in all of its kind of bravado is where still a lot of the attention is focused. But where this transformation is happening is in the integration factor. Mm. And you're also developing now a group of people who have done enough of their work that there's an insight layer in the collective voice that is holding transformation. Mm. And so you have a movement from the cultural scout and the pioneer to this foundational element of guardianship, (laughs) eldership. They don't have to be old, right? I mean, we have some very profound, very young people, but this kind of guardianship of comprehension and insight. And to me, that's very exciting. And there's something that's happening in the DNA of the species as a result of this. So people are accessing it more quickly They're accessing it through different media. I have a student coming to work with me later this spring who says, but English isn't my first language. I worry about whether or not my grammar is always correct or, or, or. And I said, let's jump out of the box, you know, throw it out there, throw it out there in all the languages you speak. You love to be an artist. Let's put art on the page. Let's play with this. Let's what you're writing is a story for 
younger people. So let's reach into the media for younger people and not think it has to be 120 pages of little black lines. <laughs> right. right. So I think right now it's very exciting how people are accessing insight. The search people are on for new, new leaders, but not leaders in kind of even the old style of the 1990s, but kind of people who hold space, who understand how to be present without being egotistical. I mean, there is a magical alchemy. We need ego. I am me, you are you. But that just gets in the way unless we also have something that we go, and this comes through me. I am now flapping my lips, but it's not me. It's the message, the message that says, say this next. And people who can really stand in the spiritual pillar of say this next, offer this next, contribute this next, those are the folks who really have done the work. And they know what to do right. <laughs> As you were speaking, um, the other image that came to mind is that, you know, you're well known for circle process mm -hmm. and uh, your pure spirit work. And, you know, through all of the social media and all the, the video documentation, mm -hmm. there is a sense that we're learning collectively by, by absorbing this, all these stories that we don't know. Like the young woman who filmed the murder of George Floyd, she had no idea that what she was doing was the key. Right. And so there's something about, this, you know, that we are now in some way through this medium, a global circle of storytellers speaking and listening and, you know, enough ego to whip out the phone and do it, but mm -hmm. not so much ego as to like, you know, promote yourself. And, and it's true in circle process that you never know where the, the bing, you know, the true note, where on the circle that's going to come from. Right. So we have to like, you learn to recognize and fall silent in the face of a statement that is embodying the truth, the collective truth. So that's exciting too. I mean, you know, through all of this trauma, if you will, of what we're living through. And we don't know how this story turns out. You know, you sort of presume, oh, well, you know, we're going to be safe. And, <laughs> but, but we don't know. I mean, we're in the middle of a ginormous transition mm -hmm. to something. We pray it's not to, you know, authoritarianism, but we can't be certain. No. And even if it is, that doesn't stop the private nature of this cycle. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus was born in the middle of the Roman Empire. It was not a supportive time for wandering Jewish mystics. You know? it's like, <laughs> but he deposited a message, you know, that that still thrives. And and so have millions of other people deposited messages that continue to thrive, whether underground or on top of the ground. And you know, we hear these stories like Mozart's body being thrown into the pauper's grave, you know, and 
and his life a failure in the moment. And then here we are still humming his tunes. So it's a, I keep telling myself, do what is mine to do. The rest of it's none of my business. That I am in this huge field and my job is to make my contribution to hold what is really what I feel fierce about in terms of moral code and ethics and story and all of those things, and then trust. Because I'm not going to live to see the end of this story. Mm-mm. None of us do. We're just, mm-hmm. we're just a little word on a page and then it's gone. Right. Right. So, but when I wrote my book, Story Catcher, at the end of every chapter, I wanted to leave an evocative question. And I don't even remember which chapter it was, but I wrote down, what do you leave in the earth for the future to find? And that is the question that I have carried and worked with, and it haunts me. And I offer it out over and over and over again, is get conscious. What do you leave in the earth for the future to find? Because a lot of what we truly understand about the past was accidentally deposited. You know, or it's, here's a pottery, piece of pottery made by some woman, man in the Mayan era. And wow, look at this. And we don't know who that is. But it teaches us, it informs us, it gives us a scrap of wisdom and knowledge from the deep past. And so I just look at what am I leaving? Where can I deposit it? how best to do that. I mean, right now we're depositing so much stuff into the internet, but the internet is actually nothing but electrical impulses. So how else might we deposit that? You know, papyrus survives, paper survives, wood survives. You know, I have this little scheme that I haven't played out yet, but maybe, maybe you or someone listening to this can get this going is the idea is to get a cemetery plot with a really good casket, you know, one of those things where you never dissolve, fill it with the best books, Ah, you know, and (laughs) the things that you have really studied and loved in the course of your life, and then bury it. And the gravestone says, here lies a book. And And it would become a code that lies a book means that underneath here, that one's full of books. You know, L-I-S-A, lies a book. So I don't know. I mean, Joanna Macy talked about how we safeguard the nuclear waste dumps. And could you develop a symbol that would speak out a thousand years from now when people may not even speak English? It just says, don't touch this. Right. You know? So it's, you can go just about anywhere with, with it. Um, I was encouraging little kids 10 years ago to take something they really loved that they were willing to hide, write a little story about what they loved about it and go hide it. And mm. you know, well, like where I said, well, like in the walls of your house or your basement or, you know, where, where would you put this? And great fun. I mean, when I built a house 
30 years ago, uh, before the carpeting went down, I wrote blessings on all of the underboard. And I don't know what's happened to that, but somebody will find that. Mm. There's something that comes to mind about, and so your, your lives will be a blessing to the earth. Mm-hmm. There's something about blessing mm-hmm. and the blessing is, is not just, well, well, bless your heart. In other words, yeah. screw you, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. blessing really is an activity. It's, and it is, you know, there's another piece, which is, it's maybe not physicality, but we're depositing your words right now are depositing in my mind and they're growing, you know, they're transforming. And so, you know, when you think, oh, I'm just a little person, you know, it doesn't make any difference. You do not know. And so the quality of your words, the quality of your stories, not to get like anxious about it has to be perfect, but you know, that's that attitude of my life is a blessing for a future I cannot see and will never know. I, I want to pick up this idea of my life is a blessing. Because, and, and to kind of like denude that word from any particular theology, right? Mm-hmm. That it, but to go back to say, it's a gesture of good intent. Mm. And it's a gesture of love, uh, of appropriate kind of love, you know, like you were saying, bless your little heart. That can be kind of almost, well, maybe not so much love, just, yeah. but it is to go back and say, blessing life, you know, bless the food. I mean, you did this beautiful book on bless the hands that feed you. And, and that's what I mean by it's an extension of the gesture of the heart. Mm. And right now, when I'm eating and walking around in the peacefulness of where I live and enjoying the beauty, I raise the shades in the morning and I send blessings to Ukraine and to Afghanistan and to, you know, there are 22 countries and more right now. And I stand there and I just say, take this, you know, it's, it it is very biblical. It's like, eat, drink. This is my peace. I reach out my peace for you. And I just, my prayer is that somewhere on the other side of the world or down the street, wherever there is need and suffering, that someone feels just this little ping of, of, I'm going to be okay. Hmm. You know, and when you say what could possibly go right, if we establish a subculture of blessing each other, instead of judgmentalism, you know, of pulling back from this chaotic anger that is so sparky right now and road rage and open carry gun laws in the U.S. and other ridiculousness, right? If we just start blessing one another and not in some unctuous way, maybe not even verbally, mm-hmm. you know, but to look at a stranger with softened eyes and softened heart, you know, so that doesn't require that you're anybody, 
other than willing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of, it's, it sounds so squishy, but it is bringing love mm-hmm. into the affairs of the world. It is bringing your heart to the party or to the meeting. One thing I want to mention is, is that when I had cancer, the story I found that saw me through was the Anana story. You know, so when people talk about the hero's journey, I think, nah, you know, I didn't do that when I had cancer. I did the, the sort of stripping away of the golden girl, you know, and I just went down and down and down through all of my medals and da-da-da-da-da, you know, and all my self-concept and, and that idea with the Nana just being a hunk of meat on a, on a hook. And the thing that got her out was these little gnats, I think they were called the veli, you know, that that Mm -hmm. come in and they give empathy to Erish Kegel, to Rishkegel, whatever you pronounce it. Mm -hmm. They give empathy to the suffering part of the self who has drawn the glorious part of the self down into the underworld because you're incomplete without it. And once Erish Kegel felt that, that she was finally seen, she would grant and Anna Aboon, that's a story of inner transformation. Um, and I think, you know, I just think there's other forms like truth and reconciliation is a story. Mm-hmm. It's a story of healing. It's a story of if we can, if we, you know, we can't fix it, but if we can tell the truth about it, we can settle our souls. So I really love the direction that you've taken with this conversation. Just really, really love it. And at one point you used the word squishy when we were talking about blessing. (laughs) And I go, well, let's get squishy. Right. Because the other thing isn't working. Exactly. (laughs) And that's where circle and story intersect is that the circle allows us to sit down and be in heart space with one another and to bear witness without being able to fix bear witness without being able to change, but to listen. And to withstand means to stand with. So I try to bring my squishiness and also my fierceness to conversations with people where I disagree and where I just need to listen need to figure out, need to discover what is one thread of commonality maybe we have in common. I thank you for this, Christina. We could go on and on and on and on. And I, I, I hope people will discover your work and your books and, and, and pursue this, you know, trail, these little breadcrumbs of bringing love into the affairs of the world and bringing blessing and withstanding and standing with, you know, all of the things you've said, it's super important, super duper important. So thank you so much. Other internet is this invisible web that we're creating. Uh We use the web to create the inspiration to do this. Exactly. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. 
don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com. <laughs>